0: amen amen all right first corinthians 15 as we continue our study of the resurrection we're going to finish up first corinthians 15 tonight and then uh finish out first corinthians for good next week looking at chapter 16 but this is the third week in a row now we've we've spent on first corinthians 15 dealing with the resurrection How the resurrection of Christ impacts our lives every day. And and one of the the thoughts I want to leave with you tonight, but I want to even say it up front, is this. One of the things that Paul is reminding us of here is that what we do right now counts forever. What you and I do with our lives right now counts forever. That's, that's big. And Paul's going to leave us with that thought at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. But before we get into that, Paul, one of the reasons he wrote this specific chapter was an answer to the question and also an answer to some false teaching that was going around in Corinth that there is no resurrection of the dead. And of course, we went through a couple weeks ago, well, what would happen if there was no resurrection from the dead. And then, of course, Paul last week says, but there is resurrection, and here's what it means for us. Now, obviously, because there were some in the church at Corinth that were questioning even the very resurrection of Christ, that's one of the reasons why Paul uses the language he does. But I want to say this up front. We know, we have. There there are legitimate questions to the resurrection of our bodies. Okay? There just are. That's some of the most... As a pastor over the years, some of the most asked questions I get concern you know, what's it going to be like in heaven and what do you think our bodies are going to be like and are people going to recognize us and like for instance like well, if babies die as babies obviously, what kind of body are they going to have and what about a Christian who dies in a fire or in an accident and there's no body and all of that. Legitimate questions. God doesn't answer all of those questions we have specifically, but the any, any answer, any insight that he does give us to the resurrected body is pretty much going to be found tonight in 1 Corinthians 15, the passage we're going to look, look at. So notice what God does say. Paul starts out 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to start at verse 35, by the way. I haven't told you that yet. That'd be good to tell you. So Paul says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body will they come? Now again, remember, the next word is full. Which you might go, well, Paul, there's some legitimate questions, like we said, but Paul is answering some of the skeptics in Corinth. So when he uses the word fool, it's in the context of the fact that some of the reasons why these people don't believe in the resurrection is they have a hard time wrapping their mind around the fact that Well, again, like what would happen if your body's destroyed? Or even, let's say this, say your body's buried and it's been there for a hundred years. Obviously, after a hundred years, that body's going to decay and all of that in the grave. They, They just couldn't wrap their minds around resurrection coming from death, in a sense. No matter how someone died. So that's why, in verse 36, he uses the word full. Now, the the word full in the Bible is an interesting word. It doesn't mean somebody with a low IQ or a lack of knowledge or anything else. It does mean here without reflection. In other words, Paul is saying, if you just took time to look around and think about what you see on an everyday basis, even in nature, you would understand this principle because Paul's going to say, nature teaches us some things about life and death, and life coming from death. Notice he says, what you sow will not come to life unless it dies. In other words, he's talking about when a farmer goes out and scatters seed, the seed has to go into the ground and in a sense die when it's planted. But we know that when that seed is planted and dies... Life comes forth from that dead seed. So he goes on, and what you sow is not the body that is to be. In other words, you and I don't sow the plant itself. We sow the seed. And the plant comes from the seed. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the context of what does that mean about a resurrected body. But a bare seed, he says. Perhaps of wheat or something else. So one of the things I wrote down here in my Bible is this, because this is good, just a good principle for us to remember, because it's a biblical principle that is throughout the Bible, and Jesus talks about it. It is only through death that a seed reaches its designed development. It is only through death that a seed reaches its designed development. I think that's why the Bible teaches us that if we're going to be Christians and really live life, really experience life, the abundant life we talked about Sunday, then what does Jesus say we have to do? We have to die to self. We have to take up our cross daily and follow Him. And it's only really through dying to self and laying down our lives for others, as Jesus even says. That we truly can experience life. Life comes from death. Even nature talks about that. So then he goes on in verse 38 to say, but God gives it a body just as he planned. So that even out of that dead seed or whatever, there is something that is produced from death. And to each of the seeds a body of a tone. Now again, remember, this is also in the context of our resurrected body. So one of the things that Paul is saying here is this. When you and I get a resurrected body, one of the things that we know about that will be that it will be unique to us. So that, in a sense, there will be a familiarity to the resurrected body, there will also be a uniqueness to the resurrected body, and there will also be some differences from our natural body that we have now. Stay with me. We're going to cover all this in detail. The point I want to make, though, is this. At the end of verse 38, a body of its own means it pertains to us. In other words, even in glory, throughout eternity for the bazillions of years that we will be alive in our resurrected body because this is a body fit to live forever without dying and wearing out, just like our earthly body, it will be a unique creation of God only for us and will set us apart from everyone else. Everyone in heaven will not have the same body. It will be a unique fit for us. But using the analogy that Paul's using, we also know that even though, say, the plant that is produced from the seed is different, there's also a continuity. In other words, a a, a seed of wheat is going to produce a stalk of wheat. So there is continuity, and so what Paul is saying to us, I think, is this. There will be a continuity in some way to our glorified bodies that are fit for eternity. In some way, we're not going to be not us, if you know what I mean. There's going to be a continuity between who we are here and who we will be in eternity. But there's also going to be some major differences too. Because obviously, this body cannot live for eternity, And so when God gives us a resurrected body, just like the seed goes into a plant, there's going to be some unique differences to the resurrected body that we don't have today. With that said, notice he goes on and even says, even the bodies that God gives us right now are suited to our environment. They're suited to what we need. He says in verse 39, all flesh is not the same. All physical nature and characteristics are are not the same. People have one flesh, animals have another, birds and fish another. Because God didn't design us to live underwater, so He gave us a body that was fit for our environment. Same thing, He's saying, so when when God made this body, it's fit for this environment, but when God gives us a body for eternity, it's going to be fit for that environment as well. Then He goes on to say, And there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, verse 40. The glory, the splendor, the brightness, which is what this word glory means, of the heavenly body is one sort and the earthly another. We know the Bible teaches that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And when people study the human body, it's amazing. But Paul says, that's amazing and it's right. But the spiritual glorified body that God's going to give us is going to be just as amazing as well. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for even stars differ from star in glory. In other words, you and I look up into the heavens at night, all the stars don't twinkle and they're not the same brightness or splendor. Some stars are brighter than other stars. And so Paul's saying, again, uniqueness, difference, even within heavenly bodies. It is the same then with the resurrection of the dead. There's going to be some things that are the same, some things that are different. I think this is a good place to stop right here. Keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians 16 and go back to the Gospel of Luke. This just popped into my head. And I don't usually have a lot popping into my head. Now the question will be, can I find it? Yeah, okay. Luke 24. Thank you, God. Luke 24. I'm specifically going to look at verse 39. When Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus had a glorified body that had continuity to the way He was and the way He looked on earth. But obviously, too, it was different. Because it was glorified. It was fit then for the spiritual realm rather than the natural realm. But it was still a body. It was still a body. Notice what Jesus says to his disciples. Luke 24, 39. Look at my hands and my feet. It's me. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones like you see I have. See, Some people think that spiritual body means some kind of ghostly apparition. No. In Christ, His glorified body had flesh and bones. Now, interesting, He doesn't say flesh and blood. That's a very important distinction. He says flesh and bone, but not flesh and blood. So there is similarities to our body, obviously, now. But there's going to be some differences because... This body is fit to live on earth. That body will be fit to live for eternity in heaven. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. I could stay there for a while, but I need to move on. So notice he shows us some differences, some contrast between this body and the new body. In verse 42, what is sown, meaning this earthly body, is perishable simply means subject to corruption to destruction what is raised is imperishable it will never decay it is immortal earthly body verse 43 it is sown in dishonor the word means to be despised having been degraded we know that the older we get the more we complain about our body by the time we die and it wears out, it's like, there's no honor in that body. That thing is gone, you know? It's gone. But here's hope, folks. Look at what it says about our new bodies. It is raised in glory. Meaning magnificence and excellence. The new body that you and I get, no dishonor. No degrading at all. It is sown in weakness. We all know that too. Especially the older we get, we lack the strength. It literally means feeble and fragile. This earthly body is feeble and fragile, but notice, it is raised in power. And the word there means inherent power. Not even the power of God that rests on us, but this new body is going to have power within it that this body doesn't have. Verse 44. It is sown a natural body, an earthly, of this world body. It is raised a spiritual body, just like Jesus. So he says, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So Paul here is just laying out what God has revealed about the spiritual body. Now again, doesn't answer all of our questions. Because again, one of the other questions, like, well, how old are we going to be? You know, can I go back to look like I did when I was 25? Or you know, God doesn't answer that question. But but I think the point is clear that whatever age you think your body looks like, it's better than the one now. No matter what age that was, trust me, it's better. So then Paul goes on to say, it is written, the first man, the first human being, Adam, became a living person. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. The words mean to restore. You see, when sin came, sin marred man's body created in the image of God. And even though it's still glorious to some degree... I believe that as the centuries have went on from Adam and Eve, that our bodies even are nothing like Adam and Eve's body was. That's why I think part of the fact why up until the flood, that people even lived to be seven, eight, nine hundred years old, there was a different climate on earth at that point and their body was different. As time has went on, even though we have great advances in medicine and all of that, the lifespan is still 80-some years here in America. So we're living a little bit longer, but still, the body wears out. And if, if you and I are going to buy into the world of somehow we're going to cheat death and we're going to slow down the aging process and all of that, sorry. God says the reality is that why would you want to as a Christian? Now, obviously, you want to take care of your body. It's the temple of God. But he's going to tell us that, don't you realize, Christian, that death is the portal to real life with God? So don't look at death as some negative thing. Look at it as a a positive thing in your life. Notice he goes on to say in verse 46, "...the spiritual did not come first, but the natural, then the spiritual." So the first man is from earth, ground, made of dust. The second man is from heaven. And like the one made of dust, so too are those made of dust. And like the one from heaven, so too are those heavenly. And just as we have borne the image, the likeness of the man of dust, let us also bear the image of the man of heaven. So he gets now to the real practical part of this passage which I'm going to spend the last 20 minutes on. This is a passage that I have preached many a funeral. Uh, Love love this passage. Think it's a great comfort to us who aren't dead yet, but know one day that's coming. And I think it will be a great comfort and encouragement to any here who have family and friends who've went to heaven and who are now with Jesus. In fact, these these verses up to this point because... For instance, personally, my dad died of cancer 20 years ago. My dad, before he got cancer, was probably 250 pounds. By the time he died, he was probably 100. You know. And yet to think that my dad in heaven has this wonderful body. Unbelievable. Unbelievable encouragement and comfort. So, Paul says, verse 50, This is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, fellow believers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If we want to be part of this eternal kingdom of God, there's only one way to get there. Die. But again, going back to his earlier point, life comes from death. Look at nature. Nature teaches us all the time that life comes from things that die. And so he's saying don't look at death in a negative way because through our death we will inherit the kingdom of God and truly grasp on to everything that God has for us because this body can't live forever. This body can't experience all that God has for us. We've got to lay this body aside and get that new spiritual body, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Now he says in verse 51, though, listen, I will tell you a mystery. A mystery in the Bible is simply something that has been hidden up to now, but is now revealed. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament taught resurrection of the body. Even Jesus Asked Mary and Martha, when Lazarus died, you know, you believe in resurrection, right? Oh yeah, we believe in resurrection. They believed in resurrection in the Old Testament. But they had not yet heard this new added aspect to this. Up to this point, the only way any Christian knew that they would go to be with God in heaven was to die. But Paul says, well, there is an exception to that that there is going to be a generation at the end of time who are alive when Jesus comes in the rapture and they will never experience death that's what he says here in verse 51 listen i will tell you a mystery we will not all sleep sleep is a metaphor for death in the bible we will not all die but we will all be changed the word means transformed. It literally in the Greek means to exchange one thing for another. (laughs) So in other words, we're going to exchange this body that's wearing out and we're going to get a new spiritual glorified body. Verse 52, in a moment. In other words, Paul is saying that this event, the rapture, is going to be very sudden. No time to prepare In fact, the word moment in the Greek language means it cannot be cut in two or divided. That's how small it is. It cannot be cut in two or divided. That sudden. In a moment, in the blinking of an eye, at the very last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body, this body that is liable to death, must put on immortality. That which is undying, everlasting is what the word means. Now when this perishable puts on the imperishable and this mortal puts on immortality, then this saying that is written will happen, death has been swallowed up in victory. If you want to know more about the rapture, Study 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. That's a definitive patch, path, passage in the New Testament on the rapture that Paul is also mentioning here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. The word swallowed in verse 54 is an interesting word. It literally means to drink down. In other words. Paul is picturing death as being drunk down in victory by God. It's utterly vanquished. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The word sting there is is a word used primarily of scorpions back then because it was looking at a deadly weapon. We here in the desert know what a scorpion is and what a scorpion sting is all about. And he's using that same word to describe death. It is death's deadly weapon. But he's making a point here to Christians. Death has no power over the person who is in Jesus Christ. Death has no power over the person who is in Jesus Christ. Then he makes an interesting point. He says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, notice that he ties death and sin together because he wants us to understand that the cause of death was sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Why do people die? We die because death came because sin came. And if Jesus Christ came to help us overcome death, then the logical consequence also here that Paul's trying to get them to see is Jesus Christ then also came to help us overcome sin. If He can overcome death, then He can also help us to overcome sin because sin and death are tied together. In fact, sin is the cause of death. In human beings. A couple other interesting things. Notice in verse 57 the word thanks. Literally that's the Greek word charis, which is it means grace. But grace be to God. And in a sense he's saying, he's reminding us the reason we can be thankful to God is not because we did anything, it's because of what God did and it wasn't because we deserved it, it was out of His grace that we have all this. In fact, he goes on even to reiterate that when he says, who gives us the victory, who furnishes us, who supplies us the victory. We didn't earn this. We didn't work for it. We didn't deserve it. It was a gift of God's grace that he gave us through Jesus Christ. That's why death has no power over us. That's why we don't have to fear dying. We don't want to die. But we don't fear death like those without Christ because we know, according to the revealed word of God, exactly what's going to happen to us and what our glorious future is. It gives us hope rather than no hope, like many people have in facing death. And then he comes down to verse 58, probably the most practical verse of the whole night. Because throughout this entire chapter, three weeks ago when we started this, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1, talking about the gospel, Paul has really built everything up to land on verse 58 and saying, now guys, all this about the resurrection of Christ, it really boils down to this is how it can impact your life and my life on an everyday basis. So then, dear brothers... Always be outstanding. Or excuse me. So then, dear brothers and sisters, be firm. Do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Three things in that verse I'd like to end with tonight. Good. I've got at least 10 minutes. Verse 58. First of all, he reminds the brothers and sisters in Corinth that they are dearly loved dearly loved ones. And then he says in verse 58, be firm. In the Greek language, it literally means to sit. And what it, the meaning of that is in the Greek language is to be settled. To be settled. Not sitting in the sense of inactive, because we're called to serve the Lord. But in this context, he's saying that all this information about conquered death and resurrection and our glorious future and the hope that God gives us and all of that should settle us. We live in a very unsettled world. We live in a very anxious, restless world. In fact, it's very interesting in studying ahead. I'm. I've told you I'm going to be doing a a series on Psalms and a blog to coincide with my series on the life of David on Tuesday nights in the new year. And one of the terms I've come across is the word wicked. And the word wicked in the Old Testament literally means restless. It's the idea that, that someone that just can't ever be settled... See, If you and I have Christ, and we have the hope of glory, and we have all these precious promises, there should be a settledness to our life instead of a restlessness to our life. And so he's saying to all of us as Christians, take the information I have given you throughout this book, and especially chapter 15, and be settled even in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, Paul was telling the Ephesians, don't be tossed back and forth, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Be rooted, be grounded, be settled. And so the first practical principle for us, let's be a settled people. A people that is able to sit And rest in God. And not be so restless and churned up all the time. Second, do not be moved. If the first principle is be settled, the second principle is be stubborn. Then there's a lot of times where the idea of stubbornness is a negative. And that's certainly true. There would be times in our life where if we are stubborn, God is saying, that's not a good quality to have. But there are also many times as a child of God that He wants us to be persistently stubborn, which is what this word means. Why? Because there are times throughout our Christian life where we know... We know we're settled, if you will, or we're we're on a solid foundation. We know that this is truth or, or that we're basing some decision or choice on what God has revealed and what He said. And yet we'll have people come into our life and in and out of our life all the time who try to move us out of our position, if you will. And in a sense, maybe even cause us to be restless, questioning, doubting, all of that. And Paul is simply saying, take the truth of God's Word and not only be settled, but be persistently stubborn about it. When you've landed on the truth and the truth is setting you free, don't let anyone or anything, even the demons of hell themselves or Satan himself, come and move you off your position of strength and stability and security. Stay there. That's what the words mean. Do not be moved. Let me use it in a local church context. Because those of us who are serving the Lord in any capacity, I, you know, Nicole and Crystal and and Marcia and Eric and and Chris and anyone who's a ministry director, anyone who's involved in service, Bob, any one of us, we know that the more we serve God, the, 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 the further in we go to service, there, there's going to be those times where people come in and out of our church and in and out of our lives. And we know that this is what God has settled us on to do and to be and to focus on. Sort of going back to Sunday's message about I'm going to narrow the focus of my life and this is what it's going to be. And we're always going to have people coming in and say, hey, what about that? Hey, what about that? I've got people doing that to me all the time. Now, not every new person that comes to the Oasis does that. But there's... A lot of people, when they come into a church like this and they're new, they're always, in a sense, going to challenge what we're doing and why we're doing it and, and trying to get us to go maybe in, in a direction that they want us to go. And you've got to keep coming back and saying, that's good, and that, but this is what God has called me to. And I can't be moved from that. Sort of like Nehemiah when, you know, they were doing the wall and and they sent the person to get him to come down off the wall. And he said, I can't come down off the wall now. I'm doing a work for God. I can't, you know, be moved. So we, anytime you and I serve the Lord and minister, one of the things we have to just know is that throughout our ministry, there's going to be people who are always constantly trying to get us to move from the position that God has placed us on. And we've got to be persistently stubborn. Now, there's times where we need to change. And there's times where we need to, you know, do things differently. But there's other times where we are convinced and we know that this is what God wants us to be about. And I don't care who comes in and says, well, what about that? Or what about?" That? No, I'm going to be persistently stubborn. That's what Paul means by do not be moved. And all of us as Christians, we've got to be careful about that because it, it seems like it's so easy that we... People can come into our lives and because they're so, well, you know, intimidating or loud or convincing or confident or whatever in the way they approach us about something, we back up so quickly off of our position and and go, yeah, well, maybe you're right. And, And I've done that. Trust me. And then I've regretted doing it because God reminded me later you move from a very secure position because of the pressure of other people but not by the leading of my holy spirit don't be moved jeff be settled be persistently stubborn and then be strong is the last one before we get to that no notice what he says always be outstanding In the work of the Lord. The word outstanding really means overflowing. So it reminds us that when you and I are serving the Lord, it should be out of the overflow of God working through us. Not us doing it, but God doing it through us. And notice what he says. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord. It's not my work. Not your work. It should be the Lord's work. It should be what the Lord is asking us to do. What the Lord is leading us to do. What the Lord has called us to do. Not what somebody else has called us to do. Not even what we think we should do. What the Lord is doing. It's His work. And if it's His work, then He will empower us to do it. Out of the overflow of our own personal time with Him. So, he ends by saying, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And this is where I got the concept of be strong. Why? The word labor here means intense labor. In fact, if you look this word up in the Greek... It literally means a beating. So think about what Paul's saying. He's saying, when you and I serve the Lord, we take a beating for Jesus sometimes. We just do. The longer we serve, the higher level we serve God, we are going to take a beating. Well, anybody who's going to endure that has to be strong. That's why I pray and that's why I teach and that's why I'm trying to get all of us at the Oasis to continue to go after God and grow and mature and be strong because if we're all going to serve God at the level God expects and wants us to and knows that that we will be fulfilled and satisfied, we can't be weak. That's why there are so many Christians who have served the Lord for a while and started to take a beating from other Christians or whatever and just said, that's it, I'm done. I'm done with church, I'm done serving the Lord, whatever. I'm taking a beating in this position. Well, the Bible sort of tells us if we're going to serve the Lord, we're going to take a beating. So that's why we've got to be strong so that we can withstand the beatings, in a sense, that we're going to take when we serve the Lord. But notice what he goes on to say. He says, knowing that your beatings that you take are not in vain in the Lord. The word vain means empty-handed or without fruit. In other words, he's saying, but when all is said and done, and when you stand before Jesus, and you hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, you will not stand there empty-handed without fruit. Because you were settled, you were stubborn, and you were strong, and therefore what you can bring to Christ to glorify Him and lay at His feet will be a bountiful harvest. It won't be in vain. And that's why Paul ends this great chapter by reminding us that now, right now, counts forever right now, counts forever. What we do with our Christian lives, how we serve the Lord, how strong and faithful we are, and all of that, it's not going to be in vain. I don't think we'll ever get to heaven and meet one Christian Throughout all of eternity, who's gonna say, I wish I wouldn't have lived so so committed to Christ. I wish I wish I would have slacked more. But there's many Christians, even before they get to heaven, because I've had conversations with many of them on their deathbed or near death, or as they get older, who've said to me, Pastor, I wish I would have done more for Christ. Paul said it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to live our lives and then go, well, I wish when all was said and done and I laid this old body aside and got fit for an eternal body forever that I'd have put Christ first in my life and done more for Him. Even willing to take beatings. I don't think any of us are going to feel that way. All of us, no matter how committed we are to Jesus, are going to say, boy, if I'd only seized that opportunity, if I'd only hung in there, if I wouldn't have quit, if I wouldn't have given up, if I would had just allowed God to make me strong like He wanted to and settle me down and make me stubborn when I needed to be stubborn so that I wouldn't be moved off of that position so often. So Paul's saying, so do it. It's our choice. If God can overcome death, If God can take these bodies of dust, even if they've laid in a grave for thousands of years and totally decayed and put them back together as some glorified spiritual body that's fit for eternity, can we not think that this great, awesome, amazing God can be there for us every day to give us the strength that we need and everything that we need... To live at the level he's asking us to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so Paul says to the Christians at Corinth and tonight to the Christians here in Chandler let's never forget, right now counts forever. It matters. It really does. Look at what we have to look forward to, Paul says. Let that be a motivation to live at a high level for Christ right now. Three things I'd like you to remember the rest of this week till Sunday we meet again. God wants us to be settled. He wants us to be stubborn when we should be stubborn. He wants us to be strong. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Let's pray. God, thank you. For giving us, Lord, what you have given us about the glory that awaits us. The fact that for those of us who have Christ, we never need to fear death. Death has no power over those of us in Christ. Death has been totally vanquished through Jesus Christ and His resurrection. And because He lives, we live. And we can look forward, Lord, to a day where we will lay these deteriorating, decaying bodies that are only fit for a short time on earth aside and put on a body that You have for us that's fit for all eternity. That will never wear out, never get sick, never get tired, never die immortal, imperishable. God, we thank you for that. And God, I just pray that right now we will take the truth of what's going to happen to us in the future and connect it to the way we should be living our lives right now. Because even though we still live in these earthly, decaying, deteriorating bodies, we have the Holy Spirit of God living within us who can empower us to be settled, to be stubborn, and to be strong. And it's not about the vessel. It's not about the container. It's about what's inside this container. So God, help us to allow your Holy Spirit to overflow and empower us in such a way that we will begin to see that we can overcome the natural body that we live in and do things beyond what we think we can in this fragile, feeble body. And we can truly live in a way that brings glory to You. God, thank You again for what You're doing in our lives and in our church. Continue, Lord, to bring us together for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here tonight. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you Sunday.